Global Stage. In this third episode of the Fire from Heaven series, we are happy to be joined by the well-known and respected teachers of Waking Down and Mutuality, Samuel Bonder and his partner, Linda Groves Bonder. Samuel has written a number of books on spirituality, including Waking Down and The White Hot Yoga of the Heart. And Linda is an artist and musician, as well as a spiritual teacher. Together, they are the founders of the Human Sun Institute, and they've been involved in the integral community in a number of capacities over the years, including as founding members of Integral Institute, as members of the Integral Spiritual Center, and as teachers at several of the Integral Spiritual Experience events. As transmission is a key aspect of their teaching and method, we're excited to talk to them about their understanding and their experience of this seldom discussed phenomenon. In past episodes, We've been exploring and looking into the nature and even mechanics of transmission, whether it's necessarily a top-down phenomenon or a one-way communication or exchange of energy or if it's something else. As the name of their primary teaching, Waking Down and Mutuality, seems to suggest, there is something both imminent and embodied about it, waking down, and also something that's participatory, something that arises between individuals in mutuality. This resonates with my own exploration of prepositional ontology, feeling especially into the prepositional vectors of our intersubjectivity and our participatory engagement and enactment. What dances in the dash between the I and the thou, whether it's the relation of from and to, or over and under, or for or through or between, or with or within. There's quite a turbulent and expressive energy in the transmission field in our we space that I hope that we can keep exploring. For now, I turn the floor over to my friend and colleague, Lehman Pascal, who will guide this next integral stage mind walk. I hope you enjoy it. So, hi folks, very happy to have you here, to welcome you. I think your um, particular situation, at least as much as I understand it, provides us with some really interesting jumping off points to discuss spiritual transmission. I think that your your emphasis on mutuality uh, opens up the door to ask whether transmitter-receiver is really the right metaphor for the process. I think that your um, personal relationship opens up a line of inquiry about how do different kinds of relationships affect transmission or not. Um, I think there's a lot of variant. I think the idea of um, of the difference between being transmission and various kinds of subtle energy transmission is an interesting area to get into that you might have something to say on. Mm -hmm. But to begin with, I'd like to anchor it in, a, in something personal. And so the question I thought of was, um, it, it, do you have a memory of one of the first times where you very vividly felt like, oh, I'm receiving some kind of transmission and also the first time, one of the first times you thought, oh, it seems like I'm providing some kind of transmission. Mm. And so uh, maybe Linda could start us off if she has those kinds of memories. Yeah, thank you. Um, it's funny because the minute you said that, I, I track back to, believe it or not, school. When I was going to a parochial school, I was raised Catholic. And I remember one of the nuns that I had was really a beautiful, saintly woman and very, very kind. And I was extremely shy as a child. But I remember how she would embrace me and encourage me and look me right in the eye with so much care 
that, of course, when I was young, I wouldn't have equated it to a transmission, but there was a, a sense of an energy and a deep care and love coming from this teacher of mine that it opened me up to be a little bit more bold and a little bit more outgoing, but ever so slight because I was extremely shy. That would be probably one of my very first memories. Another memory was um, teachers that I've sat with through the years, you know, just various energies that I would feel. But again, I back then wouldn't have equated it to a transmission. It seemed to me like it was more of an energetic that was coming, which you could say transmission is an energetic in its own right. But um, there's many, many different kinds of transmissions as we can talk about and explore a little bit together. So what about the other side of that? Um, I mean, do you, can you think of a moment where you felt like, oh, I'm, I'm being a facilitator of transmission now or of energetic exchange? Well, a funny story comes to mind on that one. I, I first started teaching about three months after my spiritual awakening, if you will. And I would do weekly sittings at our home. And I felt like I was serving in a deep way through transmission and through verbal teaching, obviously teaching of the Dharma of waking down and mutuality. But the funny story that comes to mind is when about six months after my awakening, I was working on set. I was a photo stylist at the time and we were doing a fashion shoot and the photographer that I worked with several times prior to this opening, this deep uh, conscious embodied awakening that happened for me through my beloved Samuel's help, <laughs> my teacher. Uh, I'm, I'm on set and we're preparing for this big fashion shoot and I'm working with my assistant and the photographer is watching me and he says, there is something different about you. And we stopped and he's looking at me and I'm looking at him and I'm smiling and just really, really happy and grounded. And he says, no, there's, I don't know what it is, but there is something different about you. And, and I said, yeah, there is. And so we continued setting up and my assistant knew that I had had an awakening. She was in our work and together with us. And so we're getting ready to start shooting. He says, no, this is driving me crazy. I know what it is. You had a facelift. (laughs) 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 So I responded by saying, no, I had a whole being lift. <laughs> he didn't understand what I meant, but my assistant did. So, so I think that that would have been an example of someone picking up on something coming from me as me, just me being naturally who I am. And it's in a work situation where he knew me from previous photo shoots, but it was very, very different for him. So that would be my example of that, I guess. Well, thanks, Linda. I, I really appreciate your attentiveness to the way the dynamics of transmission weave in and out of what, you know, innocuous many dimensions of human experience. It might not even be contextualized or perceived as transmission, yes. but nonetheless, there's still something going on there. I, I like that about the way you communicate. Thank you. That's absolutely true, that it weaves in and out and that it is a natural occurrence also. I always like to say everyone is transmitting. 
their level of being, their, their condition, you know, where they are, even in a moment. And so this is a weaving, this is a, an energetic that sometimes is extremely strong and palpable and other times very subtle. I'd love to get back to this uh, idea of everybody transmitting their condition all the time. Yeah. Uh, maybe Samuel uh, has some memories he could share with us of a feeling like he received or feeling like he was providing. Yeah, yeah thank you, Ivan. By the way, great, a great opening question <laughs> on this theme. Thank you. Um, yeah, I, I was thinking about it, and for me, the first memory I have of a clear, and yeah, I didn't have that word for it, but what I experienced as a transmission, a spiritual transmission, was actually in, I would have been something like 19 or 20, and my spiritual quest had begun. And there's a previous incident that's actually much more significant in my process that I didn't really feel as a transmission per se. So just in terms of me bodily feeling this tremendous presence uh, was when um, it was Thanksgiving of that particular year. And we went for a family vacation down to Myrtle Beach. We, we lived in North Carolina, so just in the other state, South Carolina. And the Meher Baba Spiritual Center is there, which is his main facility that he was given here in the United States. And I remember being in his cabin and just feeling this wonderful presence there. And that, that, was, that was one of the first times I felt a transmission come into me that way. Uh, and again, something happened earlier that I'm sure we'll get to at some point here, uh, given everything we're talking about. Um, but uh, the first, my first knowing that I had become a transmitter was really quite uh, forceful. Uh, this was a few days after my, we call second birth awakening, this non-dual conscious embodiment, certainly the way the two of us apprehended and live it. And uh, the fact of that having happened, given that I had kind of become a heretic and an apostate to my, my guru, Adida, and left the work for no reason other than I felt like I needed to for my own integrity as a person. And I didn't know if I was going to go through some kind of awakening at all. In fact, mm -hmm. Uh, there seemed to be very little likelihood. Anyway, sure enough, the awakening happened in relatively short order after departing his work. And then, the, and of course, he was a, a tremendously powerful transmitter. And my other main heart guru, Ramana Maharshi, who actually had opened up that process mysteriously through his mere presence for me, so I, you know, I was very aware of the whole process of transmission and all kinds of ways it might work and so forth. And immediately after the awakening, there wasn't any particular sense of that. But then about four or five days later, I woke up at something like five in the morning. And 
I remember it pretty vividly. It was as if my heart were a giant bucket, but with n no bottom that was turned, it had been turned over. So out of my heart was coming this massive force and radiating out of me in all directions. And uh, I actually called a, a woman friend of mine at the time who was, had been a close kind of journey companion for me and told her, I said, I, you know, the transmission is like surging through me. You know, can I come over and can we sit? Well, she was an active psychotherapist at the time, and this was a weekday morning. <laughs> so she let me in. But she said, look, Samuel, I'm happy for you, but I got to get some more sleep. <laughs> So I'm just sitting there in a living room and having this thing go on. And uh, uh, that was, you know, you made a distinction earlier. One element of transmission or one quality of it is energetic. And then there's more the being transmission, the, the consciousness mm -hmm. nature. And both of those were clearly present. But that incident was one in which the the energetic was released in a way that hadn't happened till then. And at that point I knew, okay, this is, this, this is going to become a major event in my whole life because once activated like this, this is going to start affecting people. And sure enough, it did. That's very intriguing. This, uh, idea that there was an immediate spontaneous desire to communicate it you know to call somebody and go over um how how much of that do you think you know is there a force coming through and that's what it wants to do is to come through or you know is it something like your bucket is just overflowing and and you need something to help balance that out or what what's your sense of the dynamic involved in the urge to share it thank you well i i say it's a it's a wonderful question and i think for both of us certainly you know, certainly for me the um the way i would answer that has kind of been continuously refining itself i mean in some ways it's a both and of the two qualities you talked about um, but, you know, even the urge to share it is itself, you know, using some formal traditional language, but it's real. It, it, it's, it is itself a gift of grace. It is this kind of organism activated and awake in that kind of way um, can't help but conceive the 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 urge to share uh you know whether you exactly think it that way or not mm -hmm. and uh we we had a phrase from the very early years if you don't find a way to do that it can back up right the, the, yeah. the mother's milk yes I, that's so good that you said that because i was going to draw our, our attention to that and mm -hmm. early on that was how it was for me I had to start teaching. I had to start serving somehow. Yeah. And I never thought I would be a, a teacher of, of this work or any other work. I, was, I have a teaching degree, but not in spirituality. And so 
you said to me back in the day, you know, the mother's milk is backing up in you and you yeah. need to serve. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Well, that's very interesting um, because it makes me want to ask, how do you balance that idea? Because the picture of that milk backing up is the picture of a, a something specific trying to come through. And then along with that, you might think of specific people who are uh, empowered in some degree to be teacher transmitters. But you also have this position of everyone is transmitting everything all the time or their being, right? So what is it that distinguishes um, a special transmission process or people who are unique adept transmitters from the simple fact that everybody is transmitting and exchanging their being condition at all times? Mm, yeah, I think the difference, at least for me personally, would be that when I felt this backup or when I felt this natural organic urge and need in my being to express myself and to hold people and to listen deeply was coming from the place of being more here and being more aware and noticing in myself what needs for me were um, pushing me forward. It was like a passionate desire. Whereas, you know, just maybe walking in the store or having conversations with someone, yes, we're both together and we're both transmitting our energies together in those moments. But this passionate need and being that if not being expressed is feeling like it's backing up. That's, that's the difference, I think. And it's also the heart, the heart saying, mm. I, I don't even understand this, but I have to do something. And I have to discover what that something is. And when I started doing my, my weekly sittings, I discovered that, oh, it was such a, a gift for me to be able to just be with people in a natural way and, and, you know, invite them to speak whatever it is that they want to speak. So I think that would be the difference. Thank you. What about you, Samuel? What's your sense? Is there a, is this an additional quality that's added to uh, ordinary existence or is it an intensification or a, a greater degree of ordinary being transmission? Yeah, thank you. Uh, you know, my feeling is actually that it's um, it's possible to have a much more sophisticated conversation about this with some kind of integral framework. Uh, to me, it seems that the differences are, I mean, I haven't thought this through in a lot of detail, but fundamentally developmental. Everybody is simultaneously transmitting to and receiving from everybody else, every kind of body, every organism, big and small, every uh, fraction of phenomena. You know, the interconnectedness is really quite absolute. Uh, and so there is, there is a really important acknowledgement uh, in, in our work that, which is kind of the, maybe the other side of the coin of the developmental distinctions, mm -hmm. 
in that there is a fundamental equality with everyone and everything. We're getting an unstable connection message, so I hope we're still coming through. I, I've still got you loud and clear. Okay, okay. good. So, <laughs> yeah, thank you. So, so the, the, the distinction that's relevant here is that specifically along something we could generally call a spiritual line of development, when people come into certain rarefied qualities of development, whatever the, there are so many forms of it, but you know, using the integral language, when they've achieved certain altitude, their presence becomes compelling to others in terms of the other's experience. And in them, I mean, I'm sure different people are answering this kind of question in very different ways, but uh, certainly for us uh, in our, our lives, there, there was this felt necessity that the reason, reason, I don't know if I think of it in terms of reasons exactly, but given that such an awakening has activated itself here, what else could I do, but in one way or another, find ways to serve others so that the developmental quickening is being uh, aided uh, by however we wind up managing it all. So I, I hope that. Yeah, that's, should... a, that's a nice answer. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and invoking the idea of development, you know, there's a common idea that uh, our ancestors were a little bit more symbolic and mythological in their thinking. We've moved forward to a more global, rational, and maybe a post-rational, post-modern kind of thinking. What is your impression of the tendency to impart a personality or a mythological identity to the transmission itself? Do you think that's a pr something primitive, or do you think there, it has a future? Right. Is, it, is it a useful practice to treat the process as if it has intention, as if it has agency? Good question. And, you know, for me, I think that's, that's one of those things we'll be picking at practically forever. <laughs> um, but I do feel in our time and place, uh, looking at it from a, a kind of collective developmental perspective as best we can, the moment we're in certainly with the leading edge of humanity and seeing the transition from the mythic, mythological, symbolical investment of two things, both personality to the great mystery itself or the, the ultimate reality, whatever you want to name it, and also investment of it in specific human personalities who then are the be all and end all of that in at least their own schools. To me, I feel like um, part of what uh, I feel is helpful in, in our work is that we, we acknowledge what we call the heart with a capital H as that great mystery, using that term significantly because it, it, it is so 
related to grounded in the actual heart of the human body and you know the whole being of the human organism, including all of the, the matter. But the there, there is, you know, for me, a sense not exactly of anything like a conscious will on the part of that greater nature. Now I will do such and such. There, it's more the evolutionary urge of, of really of, of the cosmos itself and, and what is its, its life and its awareness in all of its different forms. So there's a, an impersonality to it in the level or in the ways that we can appreciate personality. You know, I, I mean, as an example of this, to see if I can get a little concrete with it, uh, at the moment, I'm, I'm making a study of the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali. And, you know, I was generally aware of what that was about, but I'm you know, really taking it in. And it's interesting to encounter how profoundly the leading edge people in our kind of concerns in that age and time and place, uh, you know, whatever, a couple of thousand years ago or so, how profoundly widespread was the assumption of a God being who really is omnipotent and omniscient and absolutely beyond karma, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, I'm just reading this and I'm, I'm aware, well, I'm, I'm, I'm nowhere near that <laughs> way of picturing. So I hope this is all relevant to your question, but I feel it's... A I think that it is. And, I, you know, it's a difficult question as to, you know, moving forward from being modern rational people and understanding the dangers posed by mm. uh, exaggerated mythological thinking and being proud even of our movement away from um, very concrete notions of the universal that our ancestors might have had. Nonetheless, it seems very, uh, very natural for most of us, at least some of the time, to think of these flows as having an intentionality, having an urge, having a, something like a personality, even if we don't attribute to them some specific concrete real entityness. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you. I, I, I think that is, that's accurate. And, um, you know, uh, it'll be interesting to see, re really over long time, especially. Um, I think it's especially pertinent relative to the uh, practice of surrender, because there's something like surrendering, right? That's not, it may have been exaggerated in the past or in particular groups around particular people where the gesture of surrender was conflated with human beings actually giving themselves over to some other human being. Mm. But there's something like that energetic, emotional gesture of surrender. And I think a lot of people now and perhaps always will find that that's facilitated by the idea of a great other to which that gesture is made. Yeah, thank you. And I feel that the, well, you know, another contribution of Integral, the three faces mm -hmm. that you not get completely 
identified and, and exclusively activated in only one face, but that, that uh, a, a, a broader, more, more fully post, post, <laughs> post everything uh, approach is one that, that accommodates uh, these differences and, and, and can dance in the I of God and the you of the great other and the it of it all. Uh, so, thank you. Yeah. Uh, here's another interesting question and maybe Linda could speak to this a little bit, which is, do you feel like there's a difference between the kinds of transmissions that go on in different relationship contexts, right? The two of you have a kind of intimate relationship context and that is that different or is that the same as when you engage in um, transmission, whether it's one way or reciprocal with other people, with students, with members of the general public or whatever else you do? Is there something special about the way it occurs in your own relationship or is it changed by the different qualities of relationship that people have with each other? Hmm. Yes and yes. <laughs> uh, yes, absolutely. The, the transmission that I feel from and with Samuel is quite different uh, than anyone else in my life. In fact, when I first started sitting with him in October of 94, I had been dabbling in a lot of different things at the time, but I, I came to his sitting and I could clearly feel his transmission, which was curious to me because I wasn't from that school of thinking. I wouldn't even have called it transmission. I just felt an energy that was so grounded and so present and clear that it was intriguing to me. So as we engaged in our relationship and married, and we've been together for many years now, I've noticed that our connection and our transmission together is just so much more natural and fluid. And it's not like me getting blasted early on when I first met him, right? <laughs> and so there's that particular form that shows up for us as a married couple and partners in the work that we do in the world. Now with others, you know, once again, it's an energetic that feels a little different, and it just depends on the person. Mm -hmm. We're talking about the develop, de developmental stages that people are in that could either enhance that transmission or energetic or make it feel a little bit more in the background, perhaps. So that would be my answer to that. Thank you. Yeah. I, I'm curious about... Um... Samuel, what qualities you feel in transmission with Linda? Like, what, what do you feel her transmission to be? Or, you know, do you, as a regular transmitter, feel that you're a receiver? Or, or do you just feel you're always engaged in the one process? Oh, no. It's really always simultaneous, but both. Mm -hmm transmission reception mm -hmm. and uh, with Linda in particular because I get to be you know, right here in her daily life every day much much of most days uh, I really uh, she 
literally effortlessly and she also put some effort into it <laughs> she, she animates this heart of love Linda, there's such a tremendous force of love and care and and i get to see it in all kinds of ways big and small and the force of that quality from her is definitely different from the love that I animate, which, you know, I'm not saying that's not happening at all, not in no, no way, but it, it's such a, um, often such a, a distinct revelation. I mean, you know, and I'll, I'll just give you this one example. It actually occurred recently. I can't remember what it was, but uh we were talking or maybe we were watching the news or something and someone had gone through or a group of people had gone through some painful, difficult, perhaps tragic incident. I forget what it was. And uh, Linda just so instantly was feeling and voicing what it must be like for them. And it's not, it wasn't coming from, let me imagine what it was like for them. Uh, we talk about it, and we both have a degree of this, I think she much more than I, a kind of empathic immediacy. It's, it's not just a sympathy, but it's like a beingness of that, such a profound sympathy, such a profound affinity. So yeah, I, I, I feel her in very special ways all day that are different from how I'm feeling my own presence to be in the world. And we're very comfortable having that wonderful dynamic. Mm -hmm. I also want to say that for me, uh, there's, there's just this continuity. There, there's a sense of a, an omnidirectional current that is principally radiating from the heart. And there are other directionalities and I, you know, I'm happy to do the orbit kind of energy <laughs> work and so forth to, for all kinds of good reasons, high, you know, energetic hygiene among others. But, but what winds up happening then is that that continuous current has to be managed in different kinds of relationships. So, you know, when we're visiting with our family, they love us dearly. They're not on our wavelength. They appreciate us. And so, you know, there isn't any talk of, wow, I really feel a presence around you. And we would be uncomfortable if it came <laughs> up. Not trying to convert anybody. <laughs> uh, and not meaning to pin them in any way, we, we just really honor the, the unique frame of everybody's existence. And we look to be adapted to, to dance with them in the most mutually facilitative and benign way. All right. So I, I very much appreciate the idea that everyone represents an enormous diversity of ways in which the omnidirectional being transmission can flow. 
But if you had to give people advice on what they could do to get better at it, what would you suggest? You know, to what degree are they able to do things? To what degree even does sensitivity matter, right? In receiving a transmission, is it important that you notice that you receive it? Does that help or is it, does it not matter? Are, are there particular ways of focusing that intensify the procedure? Yes, I, I believe that, um, well, I don't believe I actually experience it. And I see many people who are in my field and people that I'm working with um, experience the direct transmission and increase of the awareness of transmission when you're in nature and when you get your bare feet on the ground and you do earthing and you sit in contemplation and you breathe deeply into the body and you put focus and attention on the physical form, not just the heart, but your entire physical form, because that is consciousness itself as well. That will increase your awareness of what is actually being transmitted at any given point. And creatures and plant life actually have their own unique transmission and communicate to us in various ways. Now, a lot of times people say, that's just a plant over there, but yes, and yet we are also very much connected to that plant. And if we open up our field of awareness, and even if we're not actually able to access any kind of energetic or feeling sense, just hold open the possibility. I like to say that a lot to people that I work with, Hold open the possibility, even if you're not accessing any kind of feeling, sense, or intuition of transmission. Hold, in the, hold open the possibility that it is naturally happening in every moment as you move through the day. If individuals can work a process of reminding themselves oh, right, I'm looking out the kitchen window and I see a dog just run across the yard and that dog has a specific kind of energy. You're actually training yourself to notice and to pay attention mm -hmm. to your surroundings, whether it be seemingly insignificant or not. Mm -hmm. I, I like to say nothing is insignificant. Mm -hmm. So that's a, there's a remembrance and there's a focusing and there's also a kind of uh, uh, a somatic awareness that might go with the whole body and with a kind of shamanic attentiveness to all the organisms and yeah. just remembering to focus into the possibility of the energetic and transmitting dimension of beings in general. Yes, and to notice how it actually feels in your body. And then the next part to, to my answer, and I know you'll have a whole lot more to say, is a phrase that Samuel has said early on, tank up on transmission. Get your body in a room with other bodies, studying, speaking about their spiritual process, creating that field, the we space, if you will, and access your teacher or teachers, whoever that might sing or resonate to your heart, because that's going to be different for, for different people too. 
certain practices and, and expressions of spirituality have different levels and different energetics of transmission. So find what sings to your heart and go there and get your body close to it and breathe it in. Yeah, thank you. That was great. Uh, thankfully, uh, at this point, our technological refinement uh, has gotten us to where we can have meetings on Zoom. Mm. I notice a lot of people seem to use that. We've been using it for years. And it's amazing how close to being in the room together it is and can be. Mm. Uh, it's not the same, but it can be uh, very efficacious. <clears throat> I love the way Linda was you know, really opening it out to all, all of the possible transmissions of nature and different creatures and so forth. I was going to go uh, actually in that direction where mm -hmm. you ended up, mm -hmm. which has to do with the specifics of transmission and reception and of course, not only reception, but the metabolizing of transmission, mm -hmm. making it your own. Mm -hmm. uh, and Linda, by the way, has a, a great uh, phrase for that. Um, weave the braid and make it your own. In other words, weave, weave together in your own being all of the different strands and currents that have been influential and nurturing and growth provoking for you. Uh, and come forth with your own full, fullest expression and continue refining as you go. She was also pointing to the necessity, though, of, uh, well, not really though, but as another factor of that, a feature of that. Uh, in some ways, the age-old, the truths that have, some of the truths that are age-old seem to stubbornly persevere. Uh, and so I've got a, a line in my book, or actually an essay is titled, uh, in my book, The White Hot Yoga of the Heart, titled, um, I think it's titled simply, First You Have to Meet the Buddha on the Road. Uh, in other words, if, if you're going to go to someone whose transmission, their, their nature, what they've realized, is of great appeal to you and you aspire to realize that and to become transmissive of that particular current, whatever else you may animate, uh, make sure to do the work of tanking up on that transmission. And also the other kind of basic practice in waking down a mutuality and that we propose can be helpful to anybody in any such format uh, uh, practice deep listening, mm -hmm. which is based actually in listening to yourself, not merely let me get something from you, but you know, being being here, all being uh, grounded as best you can, and take in what's being expressed, and make a serious study of the dynamics, the philosophy, the, the worldview, Buddhism often called the view, so that you, you understand what it is that's going on. And though there is this 
uh, I mean, we're in the, at the cutting edge of our own work. We're seeing that transmission is, uh, it, it appears to be becoming more and more self-activating in the mutuality circles, in the, in the integral language, the we, the we spaces. Uh, and in, in ways that we hadn't anticipated, although it's clear that the whole event <laughs> somehow is, again, do we call it an urge? Do we call it an intention? I don't know what to call it, but then, you know, there's this drive in being and becoming that's popping people open right and left and, and making us become more and more transmissive and facilitative to one another. I think you both touched on my next question a little bit, but I think it's a really important one, which is about how the metabolization really works, right? It seems like an awful lot of people encounter transmission, just like an awful lot of people have um, greater or even epiphanic insights, and then they lose it. It doesn't really become part of who they are on an ongoing basis. Yes. So, and I know you addressed it a little bit, but maybe we could talk about it a bit more. What is it that makes something really become a part of a person? You know, how does, what are the practices of metabolization rather than just the practices of having an experience that seems amazing? Mm. Yeah, why don't you go okay. first? Um, Thank you. Yeah, great question. And, you know, there again, to, to me, the greatest metabolizing occurs when as the, the receiver, the recipient of transmission, when you're primarily in that role, uh, seems to me it's still true. If it means that much to you, get as much skin into that game as possible. Serve, you know, give to support the source of transmission. You know, if it's a human being, they've got human needs that don't just get magically answered, you know, <laughs> by the universe being kind. Oh, good, you're transmitting here. You can have everything. So there's, there's a, a dynamic of uh, the, the, the social obligations of being in community with one another, however that shows up where I think one of the difficulties of our time is that we've become so atomized, you know, so, so able to live an apparently self-sufficient life in relative isolation. You know, when I was coming up, there wasn't any question about it. If I was gonna get somebody's transmission, well, I could get a certain amount from a book. That's what happened when I found Ramana Maharshi's teachings. And he had died before I was born. But that only took me so far. I had to find somebody alive. And then I had to spend a long time at it. That's not necessary for everybody. And I am a huge, I, I deeply honor, you know, those who pick and choose, get a little bit here and there. But one way or another, uh, if, if metabolizing transmission means a lot to you, then ask whoever or whatever is your resource for it, what is their advice on this subject? And it might be quite different from mine or any other particular person's, but I don't think anybody's gonna say, oh, just treat it casually, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I did want to come back to just one thing real quickly. Sure. Uh, Layman, um, we've often said to people in our work, you know, you don't have to feel the transmission. And in particular, that goes to, you don't have to feel energies and presences kind of coming at you that, you know, you literally feel are in the room and touching you and going into you, whatever. Uh, that quality of experience is not necessary. But if someone really does the work and sticks with it, even if they're, they don't know if they're tanking up on anything, sooner or later, and we've seen this again recently with a, with a very advanced and wise woman who's a practitioner, uh, and, you know, from day one, she said, I don't feel it. I just don't. But she nonetheless went through a very profound transition where she's now living what she was cultivating access to. So, yeah. you know, in certain traditions, particularly highly energetic oriented traditions, you really do have to feel it. And it's got to go through this chakra and that and so on and so forth. So there's a lot of distinctions. I would like to add that so much of the time people negate their real experiences. Mm. So much of the time they minimize the state that they can mm. access mm. and enjoy for a period of time. And then, like you were saying, Lennon, they lose it. So my response to that, to those individuals would be, here's an inquiry question for you. What have you actually lost? If you experienced it, and yes, it was a state that came and went, it was still something that was very real for you. So where did it go if you lost it? And how can you maximize the accessing of that once again? Now, it won't be the exact same experience because in a moment, that state was what it was in that moment. However, if an individual can continue to embrace the fact that every experience is leading them to whatever their their ultimate goal might be whether that be you know just being a more divinely human giving individual or whether they want a spiritual awakening or whether they, they just want to feel more comfortable in their skin like i said before don't minimize you know or or make lesser than all of these human experiences and emotions and connections and insights and senses. These are all extremely important. And that actually, yeah, it, it builds on that maximizing the, the anchoring of it and the metabolizing of it. It seems like there's a, there's a space or an opportunity now or in the near future for the development of a, a general body of wisdom or, a, you know, an, an up-to-date or integrally informed handbook of how people can best approach these sorts of things. Yeah. Right? The right kinds of attitudes, the right kind of integrity, the right kinds of practices that yeah. will help them be successful no matter what teacher or what form of transmission they're pursuing. Yes. Uh, I think, you know, historically, there were a lot of good insights, but they were also locked down into the kinds of social relations that predominated in historical conditions. Right. There's, a, there, there's a real possibility for something to blossom here, a general human wisdom about how to approach transmission. 
So I appreciate you guys participating in that because I think we're uh, encouraging it forward here a little bit. Yes. But <laughs> there's some other interesting questions I'd like to get to that uh, play off some of the things you've already said. For example, um, you talked about receiving transmission from Ramana Maharshi after his death. So how do, how do you think about that now? Do you think about it as, you know, the, the, the symbolism and the information that he provided triggered something in you? Or do you think about it as if his uh, transmission body is still present and active? Mm. Um, mostly the latter. I don't know that the two are all together. Mutually exclusive? No, they might not be. <laughs> yeah. but to, me, to me, part of part of what became evident uh, is 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 definitely that. Yeah, good way to put it. The transmission body is still active, and moreover over time it became it's become evident to me that we're not only all interconnected we're all interidentified so when we speak of the heart I, you know some of the phrases we use a lot are kind of mantric for us the one great heart we all share that's coming alive and awake in as and through each and every one of us really all beings and even all things but the human event of this seems to be the most pronounced and significant in a variety of ways and there really does seem to be not only with great adepts like ramana maharshi uh and Da and mayor baba and many others uh but also uh, with our our parents who are all gone now from here uh I mean, my dad in particular seems to be very active. <laughs> uh, you know, the, the, the whole kind of guardian angel thing and, and you know, uh, what those who pass on appear to be up to. And yeah, there's no way you can prove any of this. But at a deeper level for me, part of what that means, that inner identification, inter-identification, by Star calls it interbeing. I like that. Uh, is that everybody? Ultimate paradox is right here, right now, in every instant, in every even ordinary moment of consciousness. One of the big gifts I got on this uh, was a translation of uh, one of Padmasambhava's great statements where he lists out all the different teachings and their orientations at that time. You know, it's many of them with grandiose names and titles. And then he says, and then there's just ordinary awareness. Same thing. And, you know, it hit me like, wow, this, is, this thing is much bigger than we're giving it credit for. Much more, much more benignly oriented. And so I feel like what you were invoking there, kind of a, transmission, how to, how, how to do reception and transmission optimally. It, it feels like we're growing into greater and greater capacity to inform and help one another and still have people find their own ways. Terrific. Now there's a, uh, 
I want to ask a very big question. It seems to me a bit like a complicated question because on the one hand, there are, uh, let's, you know, Ramana Maharshi and Adi Da both look like what Westerners would think gurus look like, <coughs> right? So there's something in the form that allows people to project onto that. And that projection might facilitate the process of transmission for the person doing the projection. So that's on the one side. But on the other side, there's something more contemporary. You were mentioning how you left that community and felt like you moved forward in your own integrity and then began to transmit, right? So there's this sense that um, maybe being more of a human being or being less of a cartoonish transmitter archetype is sometimes the very thing that catalyzes the process. So what do you make of that distinction between the possibility of showing up more as a human being in order to facilitate transmission versus showing up as the human archetype of a transmitter in order to facilitate transmission? Great question. Um, Once again. <laughs> yeah. No, thank you. It's just wonderful to have this conversation with yeah. you because you're, you're fluent in all this. Um, and yeah, to me, I feel, uh, admittedly from my, my own perspective, but I feel that the great drive in human being and becoming is toward a paradox of utter ordinariness simultaneous with unbounded realization, transmission capacity. And, and that we're, it, it seems to us that everywhere where people are archetypalizing themselves or someone else, that kind of neon sign winds up crashing to the ground sooner or later. Mm. Uh, and that's not to say that there's no room left for the, the teaching function, uh, not at all. And, and, you know, the, uh, the, the homogenization of everyone and everything produces yet another version of flatland, uh, but a, a much more arrogant one, maybe, in some ways. So, yeah, to me, it, it just feels, I, certainly for us, we feel like our journey is one that is just, you realize that you, you never get off your knees on the mat of living. Uh, so the, the, the humility factor comes in. You just can't put on those kind of airs even if you tried. And I, I don't think that kind of way of being with others is gonna go away suddenly. But I do think in the long haul, we're outgrowing it. And I think it also addresses what we were talking about, developmental stages. Individuals need, some individuals need that other entity or deity or whoever it might be, someone in the flesh, you know, a teacher who is more up on a pedestal, perhaps. There's nothing wrong with that for those individuals who absolutely know that that's what they need and want. And I do think that for those individuals, they open themselves up to these particular teachers or gurus or whatever you may want to 
uh, entitle them with. And again, that's not wrong or bad either. It's, it's what, I, I keep going back to my phrase, what sings to your heart? If that is going to serve you and then in turn it's going to serve others, then yes, that will take you to that stage of service and then hopefully beyond, you know, because we're all growing and we're all evolving. And I would also hope that everyone, as Samuel's pointing out, can embody and enrich others' lives by being divinely human right here, right now, in every moment. Mm-hmm. Existential equality, because we are all connected and we all have different levels and lines, but we're all connected. And we all are, in our own particular unique ways, we're looking for ways to serve, yeah. to move forward, to take that next step of daring to learn more about ourselves so that we can be more grounded, more awake, more aware to serve. That's how I feel. That's nice. I, I, um, for me personally, it seems like a very open-ended question as to whether there um, is a general new form emerging or whether the forms are appropriate to the levels that people are at. You know, whether people at a particular developmental stage personally or or in their social mentality are best served by a a transmission setup that's at that level or or whether everyone is served by transmission setups that are at more sophisticated levels. I think, I think, uh, I think both are true, but the degree to which everybody's served by the more, forget the wording you just used, the bigger, more global, more global, yeah. you know, more refined, we could say. Mm-hmm. Uh, that has a subtler kind of impact. And a lot of people cannot, developmentally, they are not ready to go into that kind of frame. And, and they're, it's, you know, it's not a matter of refusal or anything like that often they can't actually conceive it yet. So, you know, to me, I do feel that in, in the long mm-hmm. haul here, the long run of time, humanity is evolving and there, there's going to be a, a greater prevalence mm-hmm. of uh, the, the capacity to tap in a, in that deeper way. Yeah. Most people are not even close to ready to actually acknowledge their own inherent divinity. That's, I feel that that's true. A lot of people, and I also feel that that is shifting so much, as you're saying. Yeah. And it's, it's shifting in some of the spiritual teachers out there today who in the past, perhaps, we're emphasizing the up and out. It's all about consciousness. Matter is all an illusion. Now we're finding and we're seeing that some of these teachers, Advaitic teachers and, and others, other streams of thinking, are really actually saying, and yes, bring it down into the body. This is how Samuel coined the embodiment of consciousness by naming it waking down 
you know, 27 years ago. And this embodiment is so important too, I feel, and what we are, you know, wanting to emphasize and bring more forth into the world, that, that you know, wave of, of heart and, mm-hmm. and conscious embodiment so that once again, you're living in your totality identity, you're living as every part of who you are, and you're radiating that, you're transmitting that to others. And there is an energetic that shifts people's awareness simply by being their authentic selves and serving in that way. So it's encouraging to see that there's a lot of different fields that are shifting and changing. It's always evolving. We're always evolving and shifting and changing our dynamics and the ways that we bring our teaching into the world. The teaching itself is evolving. And I think that that's a positive thing. I think that's positive in the sense that as we evolve and as we ground more and as we become more in service to all humanity, all things, all creation, that's that's generating something new, something different. Yeah, I, I want to, uh, a kind of a concrete example of this, the, the democratization mm-hmm. of these refinements. Um, one of the people we were most impressed with that we met through Ken and the Integral Spiritual Activities was uh, Dr. Fowler, James Fowler, mm-hmm. who did his pioneering uh, <clears throat> developmental work on the stages of faith. And one of the th- things that, that really struck me was that when he, when he was describing the, the ultimate stage in his breakdown, there are seven different stages, mm-hmm. uh, the name he had for it was universalizing. And the people that he used as examples of that were people like Martin Luther King or Mother Teresa, uh, Gandhi, mm-hmm. people who had these great public missions. And they were obviously given over mm-hmm. to that work. And we actually adapted that the framework of the stages of faith. We we looked at it more in terms of trust and the developmental sequences by which trust comes alive, which seemed to us to be pretty beautifully described by what we found. We're not doing the social science work, but in action, we're observing it again and again. And we call that stage world serving and world blessing. And it depends on the individual having already gone through Fowler's word conjunctive, we call it uniting holding, being able to hold massive amounts of paradox and simultaneous, what seems to be exclusively opposed and so forth. And then people move into that world serving, world blessing phase, but it may not take any kind of outwardly visible form. You know, they just may be living it in very simple ways, never even talking about spirituality or developmental psychology or anything like that. So it it really does feel like, again, there's, 
there's a democratization that's underway. And meanwhile, the old forms continue to be useful as they do. And we certainly mm -hmm. are never, you know, merely dismissing any such form. I think you said yeah. it very beautifully, you know, for whoever that's right for, that's what they have to have. Yeah, that's right. So. Yeah, I'd like to get back to Linda's point on that. Um, first, I'd like to say, because of something she mentioned, that uh, Waking Down was actually the first book I ever bought on the internet. <laughs> what is that? Yeah, I had a dial-up modem at the time. I remember it very clearly. <laughs> that is awesome. <laughs> Thank you for letting us know that. I love that. That's great. Such a good sign. Such a good sign. <laughs> This notion of uh, being guided by your love, your inspiration, what ignites you, seems like a very general principle. Seems like a principle that could guide people, no matter where they are, no matter what level they're at, toward the kind of processes that could work for them. Yes. However, there's also pitfalls under all those conditions. Oh, yeah. you know? So if that's a very general guideline that could apply to anybody at any stage, there might also be some general uh, caveats and warnings at any stage. And I think one of the things people are always curious about is, um, you know, what's a warning sign when it comes to transmission? What sort of transmission situations should you be cautious about, wary about? How should you comport yourself when, when there is this tendency um, to get involved, to think, as Sandy was saying earlier, that, you know, as engaged as you can be in the process is part of what's going to make it work for you. But where do you say, well, that's too much. Uh, I'm going down the wrong road here. This is a dangerous form of the thing that I'm looking for. How, how do you juggle those things? Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. It, it goes back to, I feel, each individual strengthening their discernment and strengthening their ability to be aware of how things are affecting them and also strengthening the ability to dare to leap into the next whatever to see how it feels so there's there's both and i would encourage anyone if, for instance, they're, they're going to a particular teacher or they're in a particular situation where they're feeling extremely uncomfortable, they're feeling a transmission, but boy, the transmission is really not resonating with them at all, and they know it. There's a level where you can dare to stay a little bit and check it out and find out what psychologically might be going on or energetically in your own body or whatever broken zones we call like wounds in relationship that might be getting triggered. But if it continues to hit you in a difficult, almost sometimes painful way, you have to find ways and means to balance out. So yes, pitfalls comes with the turf of being consciously embodied. It, it just does. Embodiment is not easy. Living is not easy. Life is not easy. And especially during our certain circumstances in the world, there's a lot of stress and a lot of anxiety that is getting people triggered. And so 
there's there's the strengthening the discernment strengthening the awareness and noticing as i was mentioning before but also find in mutuality your trusted others your beloveds whoever that might be that you can go to and and find balance and find support and find holding and find a place where you can literally express some of these things from an authentic real place that also shifts the um difficulty sometimes thank you yeah yeah um thank you this is uh, um, really totally important, important relevant question yeah. and to me i i feel that one of the kind of seismic shifts that's getting underway is going to take us further and further away from the archetypal supreme knower of all truth who has no karmas and everything that they say is divinely given and they know more of your truth than you do including how you should behave as a human being and it's tricky because there you know there there is a level of what it takes to outgrow and transcend egoism or egotism I forget which one of those words we're wanting to say here uh and you you want to be able to see through your own blind spots and uh be sensitive to your own patterns and and what you are tending to project onto reality but these uh teaching transmission connections with an ultimate and absolute power and reality differential i i think are are areas where it's it's really hard and i believe over time there will be less and less room uh made in the the general culture of such matters for people to assume that they have to completely abandon their own discernment their own capacity to de- decide what's right for them in order to submit to the word and the you know the instructions of the superior other and that that's where in our journey so uh, certainly um personally and, and in our work uh we make a big point of you know Linda used that phrase earlier existential equality mm. that in our beingness no one is the existential superior to any or every other and that's not been uh you know that 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 level of seeing the equality of beings takes the democratic impulse to a whole next place and with it come a whole host of other when it was alluding to other challenges that we all wind up working out together so there is there's really no easy way to 
there, there isn't like a perfect formula for all this, but in general, we would be on the side of encouraging people, you know, yes, take instructions and submit to them and obey them if that's the call, but don't, don't give up your own authenticity. Mm-hmm. And, and don't, you know, this is why I, I left Adida. Whatever he and my former uh, you know, fellow devotees might say about it, to me it was obvious that in trying my best to practice surrender to the guru, I had also lost some fundamental moorings in my own integrity as a human being. And that became you know, so prominent a problem that it was really a main reason why I had to go, even though I had no idea if I would ever even, even feel spirit again, much less complete my quest to realize. So, you know, that, that being anchored in your own integrity as a human being, and I think it goes back to a much more uh, wide and deep appreciation of all of the different lines of human development and how they all have their own altitudinal markers mm-hmm. and that being really strong in one doesn't mean that you are therefore the wizard of all. Uh, yeah, we're, we've grown a long way. Well, one of the things I heard in Linda's answer was something she's mentioned a few times, which is um, taking our own inner experience more seriously, you know, trusting the way we're relating to things. And one of the things I heard in your response, Daniel, was, that that's a good way to um, thwart the natural human process to project an absolutism onto another, especially if the other is facilitating that, and that facilitation may be because they are amazing at certain things. Right. But um, how do you relate to the notion of the absolute in general, right? If there's a danger in treating another one, an other, as absolute, is there a danger, do you think, in the concept of the absolute in general? Like if that was a totally abstract notion of the absolute other one, do you think that danger inheres in that same concept or only when it's yoked to a human being? Well, it, it goes to what Linda was acknowledging earlier about what we see as a excuse me, a developmental opening beyond what we call the spirit matter split. Uh, Beyond the really now predominant cultural force of some kind of assumption of a fundamental division in reality. So the absolute doesn't really work as a concept unless there's an opposite to it. Or a, or a non-absolute, the, the relative. And then the absolute is privileged in all of these various teachings, philosophies, practices, and so forth mm-hmm. that are also, you know, part of the way we describe it is that uh, even among people who are looking to, using that kind of language, now embody the absolute, uh, there's still, to some degree, 
I like to say, a, uh, they're, they're still working out an uneasy truce with matter <laughs> from the spirit side of the split. So the trust has not come into a full yeah. recognition that matter is equally divine, real, and important yes. as spirit, or the relative is equally. And, you know, there have been some of these great formulations through the ages. Actually, nirvana and samsara are the same, or undifferentiable, or co-emergent, and how do you make sense of the fact that there do appear to be these differences, but I think more and more the great sameness or unity is announcing itself in and us and through us, and and therefore maybe tending to get us to outgrow that th that projection of the absolute as a concept. I think it's equally in some ways as for whatever value it's had, and at the moment I'm not thinking about them so much, that split and the perpetuation of it seems to us to have caused a lot of damage and trouble, and its healing uh, will be helpful, and we'll still be able to see the great mystery in all its glory and fullness. That's a very heartening way to express it. I appreciate that. Um, a couple more final questions, I guess. Um, I think something that intrigues me a little bit is over the course of both of your um, teaching, transmitting work, the project that you're involved in, uh, what's changed for you in terms of how you approach transmission? Has anything surprised you? Has anything reversed? Um, is there any difference now between how you thought about it 15 years ago? Hmm. It's, it strengthens more for me. I think that I am perhaps a little more sensitive to transmission. Well, not even perhaps. I am more sensitive to transmissions from others, from nature, from creatures. So early on, as I had mentioned, when I first met Samuel, I felt his transmission very strongly and it was very intriguing and I needed to understand what it was and how it worked and it was all in my head. But I kept coming back and I kept feeling it and I kept learning. And so then when I went through my transition, when I went through my conscious embodied awakening, my second birth, I realized that I, I am that too, and that everyone is that, everything is that. And so it was very strong in the beginning, and then it just embodied more, and it balanced out and it equalized over time. It never left, though. In fact, the, the feeling sense and the living of being transmission embodied, consciousness embodied, has only strengthened through the years and i think that it has helped me understand as best i can in my limited way certain individuals and what they're going through and certain questions that i can ask them in my session work with them to pull them forth you know to allow them to relax and be real with me as much as they can and to trust so that is deepened as well and in, in my um, if you want to bring it back to transmission, which 
I, I, I'm using the word transmission, but for me, the transmission mm-hmm. is just it. It's all, it's, it's everything. It's you and me and Samuel and all of us together. Mm-hmm. It feels like, it, and this is something that's shifted a bit too, it feels like just a continuum of weaving that braid, as Samuel had mentioned, of the intertwining and no, non-separate connection to being at all. So mm-hmm. hope that makes sense. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah, I, uh, there was uh, a time very early in my work where I realized that the, the condition of realization that I had come to wasn't fully inclusive of what I knew was possible. And I always make the point that I don't use uh, Adidas or Ramanas or anybody else's language to propose that what I'm living is what they were living. Whatever similarities there may be, there, there appears to be a resonance uh, in, in some particular fashion that, that has been meaningful for me. And, and the main thing, uh, about eight months after my initial realization in late 92, it dawned on me that, oh yeah, there was this other dimension of a deepening or intensification of the realized condition that Adi Da had started speaking about as it happens uh, about um, a little over a decade earlier in his own work. And that's what I then came to call the white heat. And we've been having a lot of discussions about it recently, and it's practically impossible to make verbal sense of it. But it, there is something about the, the earlier realization being relatively cooler somehow or less intense, and the intensity being that much more of the feeling, knowing, being of that utter mystery in all its absoluteness and all its detail and beyond what language can say. And so I did then wind up finding access to that over the next, uh, whatever it was, uh, nine months or so. Uh, And, you know, there are stories associated with all this that this isn't really the time for. But that, that then became, that, that was different. Since then, it's not so much that the condition itself has changed as this organism's adaptation to it mm-hmm. has been an ongoing event, in some ways a conscious project, a, a deliberate, intentional conforming and becoming congruent, and in other ways it's just had a life of its own, and even that part of it the will toward all that does seem to be part of the grace of the mystery itself. Uh, and I, I do feel, uh, Linda alluded to this earlier, as I was awakening, uh, I was working with, uh, at the time, a shamanic mentor, you know, doing substance journeying, which uh, wasn't, wasn't the kind of thing people were 
encouraged to do independent of the guru where I came from. Uh, but the, the mentor, who, who was also a friend, had been kind of peripherally associated with Adidas' work. And I asked him early on, when, when my own awakening process started really jumping into gear, I said, I don't get it. You know, how, I mean, I'm, it's not like I'm one of these all-stars. How, how, how is this possible? And he says, well, spirituality is not just evolutionary. It is itself evolving. And I, you know, I think so many of the emergent events of our time are part of that evolution, not only of spirituality, but really of all human culture. And I feel that the, the living of, you know, in our approach, heart transmission, uh, is something that's going to continue evolving itself. It's, it's, it is continuing to find new forms. We, there were certain of the old forms that we had in the first part or earlier portion of our work that we discovered no longer apply now. We're not, for instance, presently looking to build a whole organization that qualifies teachers and mentors and so forth. But we are aware that the process is activating itself much more in some ways spontaneously, perhaps. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of, okay, we're not exactly sure what's next, but, you know, we're, we're keeping our ear to the ground and an ear to the ground and a finger in the wind. You know? That's uh, probably a beautiful place to come near the ending. Let me just, let me just if you got one more thing to say, go ahead, please. I do. And that is, in your questions, I remembered, and we kind of brought it up today, but we didn't address it fully. Is transmission an energy that comes from a body to another, or is there more of a, a mutual resonance, you asked? Mm -hmm. And we thought that was a great question. And for us, it's definitely a both end. Mm -hmm. But I think really the senior principle is the mutual resonance, the kind of tuning fork effect, or we like to say the, the senior transmitter in effect helps the gas come up on the pilot light in the other being. That one's flame somehow affects the, 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 the burn in the other. But it's, it, it, the, the principle is intrinsic to both organisms. So it can't be reduced to just something coming from another. Now, I appreciate you uh, touching in on that point because I think it's an important one. And I think a lot of people have, have the idea of a one-way transmission from the higher source to the lower source. And there might be something in the psychology of that that is useful to help people get into the right internal position. But it's, it seems to me that the uh, principles of reciprocality and mutuality and resonance are fundamentally the physics of how this operates. Yes, yes they are. Yes. And that it doesn't preclude feeling something coming to you, but it also then helps us in the metabolization to, to know that we are invited and welcomed to become that ourselves mm -hmm. that much more consciously and fully rather than mm -hmm. uh, innately, but latently. This is, um, 
you know, I could do five or six more hours of a discussion like this. <laughs> but we, we should bring it down. I'm, I'm very happy. I'm very grateful that you two are here. I uh, wish you the best with your work in both in general and also this uh, Patanjali project you're working on. <laughs> I, I love the Yoga Sutras and I'd like to invite Bruce to come back in if he has anything to say at the end. Okay. If he's still out there somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Layman. Thank you. Thank you, Layman. You've been, been, a, you've been a wonderful interviewer yeah. and, and, so and fellow dancer. Yes, indeed. Thanks very much. I love that. Um, I hope. <laughs> yes, thank all of you. I've, I've really enjoyed uh, being a fly on the wall in this conversation. Um, and uh, we've been doing a number of videos on the integral stage. Um, and I'm really feeling something uh, special and unexpected coming through these conversations on transmission. And uh, I really enjoyed uh, this particular discussion. I felt it was really rich and a real gift to um i think all of our viewers who are going to be watching this mm -hmm. um, so thank you very much you're welcome yeah, you're very thank welcome you. thank you for being part of it too yes indeed we just want to thank both of you so much for inviting us to do this connecting and this exploration together it has been very rich for me personally and i feel samuel would say the same thing mm -hmm. and i totally appreciate the flow of the questions from you, Lynn, and thank you so much. Mm -hmm. And I want to send big blessings out to all the viewers and all of the friends and family of the viewers. And um, just to say to everyone who is seeing this and listening deeply, mm -hmm. trust your heart and blessings on your journey, no matter where it leads you, always blessings on your journey. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, my love. And, and I also thank you so much, Layman and Bruce, for also creating this integral stage. I, I, you know, I don't know the integral world that well at the moment, but I get the feeling this is very important. I'm so glad you're doing it. Um, and I'm sure all the other people you're talking with feel the same. And yeah, to, to you know, you who are uh, viewing this, uh, we like to say, I mean, the essence of our message is the, the sun in your heart is rising. There is a fundamental essential nature in you or of you uh, that is the same as that in everyone and everything and yet somehow utterly unique to you. Go figure. Talk about a paradox. And we welcome you to live out that sunrise and become confident that you are that great nature yourself, even as you're being the ordinary person you are here in the world, doing whatever you do, going through whatever you do. And we're just so grateful that all of this kind of consideration means so much to you that you take the time and devote the energy and attention. And none of that time-taking and investing and devotion of energy and attention and heart and hope and dream and aspiration, none of it goes to waste. Every bit of it serves you, even if you and we can't know in the moment how exactly it's all working out. So please keep coming forward and take your place as someone who is living and breathing and owning and being and sharing this great mystery 
that truly means so much to everybody, even though not all of us may be aware at any time. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thanks. Beautifully put. Thank you so much. Yeah.